don't take too many breaks because they will stunt your productivity. So I think there's a middle ground between taking breaks and getting work done. I think it's hard to get to that point, but it's important to find that balance. This is the Crit RPG Podcast. Your one-stop shop for everything Lit RPG, Progression Fantasy, and Royal Road. Welcome to the Crit RPG Podcast, a podcast recorded by a person who wished he had floor heating. <laughs> God, I wish I had floor heating. Ah. Speaking right now is Raven's Dagger. Hello. A guy with a name that sounds like he's a cultist, but he writes very wholesome stories. Hi. Well, you can write wholesome things and also be part of a cult, I think. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, wait. No, should I not have said that? <laughs> <laughs> you can say whatever you want. <laughs> Maybe we should stick to talking about heated floors. It feels like a nicer topic. <laughs> warm no. and cozy. You know, yeah. warm and cozy. You know, like um, the heated floors in my cult house. Mystic Neptune and Jolly Jupiter, and they spoke about cozy fantasy and how someone writes the death of a thousand persons, a thousand people, and like slaughtering orcs by the millions and still calls it a cozy fantasy. So anything's possible. Maybe. I think cozy fantasy is an interesting one because it's something that's only started to gain its own traction as its own genre as opposed to kind of a thematic thing. I don't know if I'm making sense there, but oftentimes you'll see different genres pop up, right? Like you have the mainstay, mainstream genres, and then you'll have some niche within that genre that isn't necessarily its own genre. It's just the thing that maybe five or six stories have done and nobody else has. And then if that thing does well enough financially and people enjoy it enough, then people catch on to the fact that it's enjoyed enough and then they might push that towards becoming its own genre in the bigger sphere of writing and so on. I think we've if you've been within like the lit RPG niche for long enough, you've seen it happen to a lit RPG. Because it started off as like a few fanfics, some Korean stories, a few Russian stories that were quite popular back in the day, and then a big boom in Japanese light novels. And then it became its own genre and it was codified and people understand the tropes of it and then the tropes were expanded upon changed looked at in different angles played differently mm -hmm. and it became its own thing it's still quite small in the grand scheme of things but it became its own genre and i think cozy fantasy i'm not sure if it's going to last long enough to become its own genre in that form but it might it's certainly growing i see people having more interest in like searching specifically for cozy fantasy on its own as opposed to just fantasy that happens to be cozy or whatever. So that's an interesting evolution, mm -hmm. I think, or side evolution of the fantasy genre that people are specifically looking for. Hey, I like fantasy. I understand all the tropes of it, but I want this specific niche within fantasy and the specific theme and... I suppose, specific tropes. Now, whether or not, as you said, mass murder can fit into the cozy fantasy genre, I, I think that's going to be up to debate for a little while. I think you could do it. 
I'm not saying you can't, but it would be an uphill battle, I think, to keep that kind of thematic coziness going. The ideas by themselves. Yeah, I suppose. Like, what is cozy fantasy? Is it just the way the story is written? Is it more about the kind of soft, the prose being like gentle and kind and almost childish-like and innocent? Or is it more about the content of the prose? It's about the feeling. I think so. Postmodernism. So the world's big and scary, and you're mm-hmm. getting bombarded with information every day. That's mostly unpleasant because that's how the news cycle works. So in Germany, there was this, there was this movement called Biedermann that happened in the 17th century, 18th century, something like that. Lots of wars going on during that time. Basically, they, they wrote like not cozy fancy, but cozy stories. You know, guys just chilling out by the hearth and like like wooing a woman or a woman sewing and then wooing a man. That's all that happened in these Biedermann stories. And I think when times are especially tough, people are looking for cozy stuff. I think it's an interesting facet of, I don't even know if it's our modern society or just humanity in general, that when things are bad, we search for stories that emphasize like kindness and gentleness and like just peaceful, idyllic stuff. And perhaps when things are going well is when we're searching more for gritty, violent expressions of like darkness and whatever. I've noticed that myself. I think, I think I'm not sure how deep into like fan fiction and stuff you're into, but it is kind of a trope in the fan fiction world that the darker, the, original story the more likely the fan fiction of it is to be like super soft and fluffy mm-hmm. and the opposite is also true the softer and fluffier the original fandom stuff is or the canon i suppose the more likely it is that all the fan fiction that comes from it is going to be really dark and gritty insert the thanos meme perfectly <laughs> balanced as all things should be yes exactly <laughs> it's why you have those like my little pony stories that are like crossed over with like fallout or whatever and you have like these super dark Game of Thrones fan fictions that are like, yeah, but what if, you know, this is like a cafe and everybody's just chilling instead, <laughs> you know? <laughs> and so you have this. That is the first thing I think about when I think of Game of Thrones, people just chilling. Yeah, just chilling, you know, like, hey, what if instead of like everybody killing each other, we just had a nice time and, you know, <laughs> talked it out. <laughs> Daenerys did nothing wrong. <laughs> Uh, oh god yeah okay that's a take i see what you're saying yeah i'm not sure how true it is but it is something i've noticed over the years so i suspect there's a kernel of truth there where the darker an origin of something is the more likely people are to push towards that thing being okay so this is not quite on the mark and i understand this but compare for example and this is a great segue i'm very proud of it (laughs) stray cat strut and Magical Girl Gunslinger. All right. Yeah. Right. Because Swekatrat, obviously, you got the sense of hope. Everything is going to turn out well in the end. Like, yeah, sure, there's aliens, but things are going to turn out well. Like, we know this. Yeah. Unless, no. But NG <laughs> comes in, pats your head, and then punches you in the stomach until you cry. Yeah. I think MGG is a fantastic. I'm not even sure if I want to call it a fanfic. It feels like no. one sometimes. But it's definitely like you can see the roots, right? There's like 
entire segments that are definitely based on Stray Cat's Drive. Mika was a beta reader before, not a beta, they were an editor before they wrote MGG. Mm -hmm. They're a really nice person, by the way. They're just like super soft, kindly spoken, Mm -hmm. just an absolute like treasure of a person. And yeah, so they wrote MGG and you can see like the similarities between MGG and Stray Cat Strut. And yes, Stray Cat Strut has this very thematic approach where yes, things are bad. The world itself is absolutely horrific. You would not want to live there. But the focus of the story is always on the the hero being heroic, on people being saved, on people trying their best to solve problems. And like there's a lot of sense of cooperation and people there's a lot of bad in people but there's also some good in them and mm-hmm. the thing that's a decently like current underlying theme throughout the entirety of the story i told no, i talked to you about this i annoyed you with my read through of straight cut shot <laughs> three i think where it's like kept bombarding you with comments and you were like yeah sure (laughs) (laughs) strike extra three is probably my favorite volume i really like the current volume the sixth one that i'm writing right now oh yeah right (laughs) yeah i don't know how up to date you are with that i prefer to read my books in chunks that's fair i do the same i have a very difficult time following stories chapter by chapter yes i have to wait six months or so and just catch up in all in one go which is interesting because you're writing six stories in parallel. Yes, just six. <laughs> I had to count. I finished one last Friday, so yes, it is six. But yeah, I don't have a hard time writing in parallel. It's not I don't have a hard time reading in parallel either. I can keep up with the story. It's mm-hmm. just I find it more enjoyable when I have a lot of meat to get through. Like if I'm going to read something, I want to sit down and read it for like several hours. Or I'll read it before bed. So I want to read for like, 45 minutes an hour and i unfortunately read very quickly i guess years of writing and reading kind of speed up your reading pace so if i want to have an enjoyable chunk of reading time i need at least a dozen chapters to go through most stories and with most people's paces a dozen chapters a chapter a week that's like three three months or so Give or take. Really? I there, There's so many people that, that I know who write like a chapter a day or who post a chapter a day. That's true. That's true. It depends on the story. The ones I have the easiest time keeping up with are those that post like every three days or so. And those are stories I can keep up with because every week there's at least three chapters. Mm-hmm. So if I read it once a week, then I have a chunk to read. Mm-hmm. Whereas if they're only posting once a week, then I might wait a month. So I have mm-hmm. a few chapters. Which is interesting because right now Royal Road doesn't like explicitly like reward you for it, but you do get more exposure if you post like a chapter a day. So you're gonna more chances, right? Yeah, it's especially important in the early lifespan of a story. In the first month, two months of a story, if you're posting mm. daily, it's almost not a guaranteed success, but it significantly increases your chance of success. That's true. Whereas like once your story's been posted for a while, once you've gotten a few thousand followers, then You can relax. You can post at a more sedate, reasonable pace, and you're not going to have any major issues from it. If you are a friend of the kazoo ad, you have to be very, very strong now. I regret to inform you that Sherdaloon went and bought the tier that removes the kazoo ad from 
all podcasts. And and now it's gone. So you got Schrödelung to thank for that. On the other hand, if you want to add the kazoo ad again, there's a tier for that too. Thanks so much for listening, and let's get on with the show. So yeah, yeah we switched through like four topics in a row right there. <laughs> oh, I mean that's perfectly fine. I enjoy talking like this, and it turns out people like listening to talking to people talking like this. <laughs> good news. Good next segment. Let's go. Oh yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> Terrible writing advice that I received in the past. <laughs> but somebody mentioned somewhere that if they were to write a Superman story, they would make it about Superman paying his taxes. Superman doing his taxes, yeah. Yeah, because that is a challenge that you can't punch. Like, you can't, you, you might wish you could punch the IRS, but you, you <laughs> yeah, you, you can't really, you can't defeat this thing with violence and physical power and magical power won't help you either right it's a societal issue and it's an interesting problem and it's a different challenge and i think that's an option that authors have that they rarely take in our space where taxes yes taxes are an issue (laughs) yes but no (laughs) what i mean is you have stories with characters that have powers and they the stories often revolve around using these powers to solve problems. But you can enter or you can have the characters face problems where their powers are not necessarily suited to these issues. So you can have them face societal issues and you can have them face injustice or you can have them have just romantic issues mm-hmm. or, hey, I'm getting old and maybe I don't want to do this for the rest of my life kind of issues. Oh, that's actually pretty cool. <laughs> that that could be a pretty cool theme for a story. That Oh, the, the hero's gotten old and is kind of tired of doing the whole heroing thing. Isn't there one of those? Crap, I, I forgot. It's a, a story about this really old hero who just doesn't want to do it again and then he finds like an orphan has to do it again. I, I think I've seen a few plots like that. Mm. Often they're told from the perspective of the orphan, which kind of defeats the kind of coolness of the subversion. But yes, it is a cool idea. And it's Mm. something that you can do for a lot of stories. It's an approach that I think, because it doesn't have the same amount of spectacle and it maybe doesn't have the same appeal, it's something that's easy to forget about as an option. But it is still there. Cinnamon Bun, not to bring that back up again, but Cinnamon Bun Mm. has a lot of that. Mm. Where the main character faces a bunch of issues that you cannot solve with violence. When early on in like, I think the second book, when the character arrives in a town and there's a dragon that is going to raise the town, the character doesn't have the power to defeat a dragon. It's a dragon. You know, so like the character has to figure out a way to convince an all powerful being not to burn a town down, you know, and so you have to go through different solutions. You have to look at it and be like, okay, so what do you have as an option to do here? The main character threatens to tell the dragon's mom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... It works. Spoiler, 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 spoiler alerts, yeah, I guess. That's a recurring theme in your work style. I mean, be it dragons or sewer systems. <laughs> yeah, dragons or sewer systems, yes. Yeah, yeah, that was another one in Stray Cat Strut. The, I think the third volume uh, is the sewer one. Don't spoil me or I will come over to wherever you live okay. and be very stern. I won't spoil you, but I was... The first volume is takes place over the course of several hours. 
right? I yes. Think. Which I like, by the way. It's really cool. I, I, that was done on purpose. That was not done because I thought it would do well financially. That was just done <laughs> because I thought it would be kind of cool to do it. So yeah, the first volume takes place over several hours. The second volume takes place over two days, three days. So the pace is still quite fast. And the third volume, I was like, okay, I have this issue with the characters scaling really quickly between the first and second volume. Yeah. First volume, of course, they're just finding their feet. They got this cool new power or whatever. Uh, they're testing it out. The reader's being informed of how it works. Then you have like the early, yeah. the very early basic stuff being covered, right? Yeah. So that's the first volume. Second volume, yeah, basic gear, arming yourself, kind of getting yourself <laughs> in that mental space of like, yes, I'm this kind of person and this mm. is the stuff I have to face. So and the first Armageddon. and second volume, yeah, they basically tackle that and like, okay, yeah. this is the main character. This is their situation now. This is their past. These are the people they care about. <clears throat> this is the stuff that they have available. These are the powers they have at hand. Mm. The third volume, the reason I like it so much is because a lot of what they have built up matters but it doesn't necessarily fix the problems that they're tackling in that volume because what they're facing is societal issues yeah. and they can't just blow those up. Yeah. Oh, they can threaten to blow it up and they can certainly like kill people if they, those people are obstacles, but it won't necessarily fix the problems that they're facing. And yeah, yeah. I told you, I really liked that discussion with the mayor. I really did. Yeah, the mayor. I like the mayor. I brought oh, slight spoiler, but he is back in the sixth volume. Okay. Yeah, that's as far as I'm going to go with that spoiler. But he is back in the sixth volume, and like those issues that were brought up in the third volume, that were that the main character was not yet able at the time to face and fix mm. themselves, and that they mm. kind of delegated others to fix. The fifth volume has them taking a position of command, more or less in another location and being like, okay, I'm the person in charge. I have to delegate these things and I have to figure out how to actually command people and actually get things fixed. That's so interesting. There's still a lot of like fighting and blowing things up and killing things because that's their role is the mm -hmm. person that does this. But they also take on the role of a person who does the logistics and tries to figure it out. It's difficult to balance power scaling mm -hmm. and the responsibilities that come with them. Yeah. Uh, I exp exp exponential cost is my solution. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that is a solution. That is mm. something plausible. In the case of Strike at Strut, the issues are less about personal power and like having better equipment and so on. Mm. It's the issue of like those people are still just one person and they can only do so much. And their goal is to protect humanity, mm. which means that they need to protect humanity. The fifth volume, food becomes an issue. Oh yeah. Oh. Right. People need to eat. And mm -hmm. you're here to protect humanity. So you might as well be the one that takes care of making sure that they're fed. So you need to not just take care of the threat of the aliens, but you also have to make sure that the people in the back lines who are supporting the people defending the front lines are mm -hmm. being fed. So one of the things that I've been asking myself is why does none of the Vanguard, I don't know, like get a plane and like aerosol, carpet bomb, malaria vaccine? You know, I faced that issue several times. And the problem is I have no concrete answer to that question. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't mind talking about it. It might be important for other authors who are entering this type of story where sometimes 
you give characters the power to fix all the problems. And yeah. it's a genuine problem because the question crops up fairly often. Why haven't some people fixed these issues? I think you solved it without noticing it. Um, I've been trying to solve it through different means okay. mm-hmm. from almost like from book two onwards. I've been trying to figure out different ways of saying, oh, why haven't the people who have the same power as main character, but who have had the power for much longer, fixed all the problems yet? I think I picked up on that, I think. And I need external validation from you. <laughs> uh, I've been trying to push different narratives and different mm. reasons why. And I figure, yes, any one reason, mm. people will be able to look at it and say, yes, but mm. they could have done this. So what if I put like 15 different reasons why they couldn't? So it might have to do with the amount of time people spend in a bathroom. Yeah, it could be that. It could genuinely just be, oh, they don't have the time. Or, uh, Oh, no, I was quoting one of the blurbs. Oh, okay, okay. okay. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, I told you, get it. it's such a small detail that like stuck with me that you probably forgot. This. It's perfectly fine. <laughs> oh, I've written so darn many of those blurbs. Yeah, they're really good. <laughs> I genuinely love writing them. Sometimes they're a pain. Sometimes you hit a chapter and it's like, I need something that fits with this chapter and that's like thematically appropriate and that still like makes sense. And like, ah, that can be difficult, yeah. especially yeah. if I leave it for the last minute and I have to write like four or five in a row. What I often do is I'll go on like tech channels on Reddit or like political channels on different news sites yeah. and I'll just scroll through like the worst stories. But why do you hate yourself so? I know, right? And I'll just look at them and say, how could this be worse? Oh, no! And then I'll write that as a blurb. And then six months later, a year later, people will say, hey, you predicted this event. Oh, no! And I'll be like, oh, thanks. That's cool. Yeah. Please mm. stop. Please. I know. I know. It is awful. It is awful. I think... I want to get off Mr. Bones Wild Ride. I know. I think one blurb, I like. I made like a speech from like the president of the United States, and yeah, and it turned out like six of us later, there happened to be an election in the United States, and my thing was like almost verbatim what happened, and it was like, oh, oh no, no, no. <laughs> that was not good. <sighs> yeah, a lot. Oftentimes, we'll just look at like small issues in tech in science and technology and modern Mm -hmm. issues. And they'll be like, okay, so this is a small scale issue. What if we pushed it out on bigger scale? Okay. Example, one for a blurb that I haven't yet written, but it's been, I don't know what the term for that would be. It's been circulating in the back of my head for a while now. I recently watched this small documentary thing where they talked about the carbon emissions of cargo ships across the ocean. Which, you know, cargo ships from Amazon, different companies, they ship a lot of stuff. And these ships burn oil as fuel. They burn the cheapest type of oil because the less cheap type of oil is good for plastics and materials. And like, we need that oil for different stuff. And once you've removed all the good from the oil, you're left with this kind of trash oil that can't be used for anything. So these ships burn that oil as fuel. Makes perfect economic sense for the ships. Obviously, this is environmentally quite terrible. These oils tend to have a bunch of carcinogens and stuff like that in them, and you're burning them, so you're spreading them into the air. This is bad for reasons that I don't think I need to get into. 
So several environmental agencies have said, hey, yeah, no, you can't do this anymore. So ships have stopped burning these oils. It took decade, like a decade or so for like a lot of these ships to change from you know, one type of fuel to another or to become fully electric or whatever. But it has happened. And the effects on the environment were terrible because as it turns out, the oil that they were burning was making these like long plumes of smoke in the air. And because the stuff in the oil, it's a lot of sulfur, it was creating fake clouds. So from if you looked at Earth from space, you would see the ships flying, you'd see the exhaust from the ships going into the air, and you'd see long clouds that were kind of stripe-shaped following the ships. And that was because of these fuels. Well, as it turns out, if you stop using these extremely polluting fuels that create clouds, you stop having clouds, and those clouds diffract sunlight. Oh, no. And so because those clouds are no longer there, the temperature in those sea-going areas has increased significantly because there's more sunlight hitting the water. So it's like we've solved one environmental issue and we've created another. <laughs> Complex adaptive systems. Exactly. And it's like, oh, that is a really interesting story. And so now I have a lot of fodder for different blurbs where it's like, we fixed one environmental issue, but fixing that environmental issue has caused another bigger one. I'm a systemic slash agile coach. So I always use this example of they had this station, this research station somewhere like in the south of Australia, I think, where there was only birds. The entire like entire thing was plants and birds. Mm. And they looked at it and it was pretty cool. And at some point they had like a few like pet cats. And then those pet cats ran away. Mm. And then they're like, ah, oh, shit, we can't find them. So let's just go and come back like five years later. Like, they came back and the entire ecosystem was completely demolished. Because of all the cats. Actually, no, yeah, it was rabbits, I think. So they introduced rabbits, and then rabbits ate all the plants that made all the birds go away. <laughs> and then, like, a shit ton of rabbits. So they released cats to kill the rabbits. But that was even worse. And then they handed down both, and that somehow made it even worse. Hmm. So, yeah, I got you. <laughs> yeah, you, you kind of get these like, these big issues. I think New Zealand had a rat problem for a long time, and now it's solved somewhat. Yeah. Yeah, and the rats came in with cargo and stuff. You know, they just they did they did as rats do, and mm -hmm. so they spent millions and millions of dollars just chasing them down because they were killing the local ecosystem yeah. by killing other animals that occupy the same niche. But those other animals happened to be belong in that environment, so that they were part of a symbiotic relationship with other animals. And the rats mm -hmm. came in, killed those, and then caused the whole chain reaction. Everything is just too complex. Every billiard ball you poke. Is going to push at least five more. Really complex. The more you dig into it, the more complicated it becomes. And yeah. oftentimes there's just no human knowledge about some subjects. Yeah. As you can imagine, I, I do a lot of research when I write my stuff. Yeah. I like doing that. Like that's one of the big reasons I like writing is mm -hmm. I like the pauses where I have to Google something and like dig into it, look for an expert, ask them questions and so on. I love that part. It's actually one of the reasons I'm trying somewhat hard to become more credible as an author because it helps a lot when you want to reach out to an expert in some weird field that's a lot easier to say oh i'm a published author than i'm a web serial writer you know when you're approaching someone with like multiple phds to ask them like one weird question about like a subject that they're like the only expert for it can be a little bit of an uphill battle so we mentioned spormageddon earlier very slight spoiler for people that 
can't catch on to the name, but the main character uses mushrooms. As that's their power. They grow mushrooms, they combine mushrooms together, they do stuff with mushrooms. They're mushroom druid, basically. And so I had to do a lot of digging in about mushrooms to learn about mushrooms. And I've discovered that humanity as a whole knows nothing about mushrooms. Yeah. We just know nothing. So like the information that we know about it is like a puddle. There's no depth. There's a lot of catalogs that will mention like hundreds of different types of mushrooms, but then sometimes some of the less common ones, you'll look at them and we barely know the environments that they grow. And it's like, yeah, we've known that they existed for a hundred years, but we don't know what they grow in. We don't know what they do. We don't know why they do the things that they do. We don't know the growth rates or the speeds and like, we don't know what exactly what they feed on. And like, there's a lot of information that's just completely missing and nobody's actually actively researching this because there's no real reason to so it's like oh okay and this is an issue you'll run into more and more often if you write a lot and you bother to do research about what you're writing is you'll sometimes hit the bottom of human knowledge and it's like oh okay this is as far as it goes nobody actually spent time or money and effort researching this beyond this point and it's not every subject that does that but a lot of the more specific subjects you'll run into that you'll just bump mm. into it headlong and it's like oh okay that's daunting especially for someone i'm assuming you're about the same age i am who has grown up with the internet and ready access to like a ton of information and suddenly you reach a point where there is no more information beyond what you have yeah it's a bit scary at times it is a bit scary at times. Actually, I don't hate it when I have to research something. <laughs> I think it's cool, but it gets me out of the flow. Actually, you spoke about the worst advice you've gotten as a writer, which is Superman doing taxes. That's actually pretty good advice, yeah. yeah. But do you have any other advice or is that... Uh, do you just want the bad advice? Oh, I mean, I could also take the bad advice, yeah. <laughs> no, no, okay. The good advice. Some of it sounds really tripe. And this is something you realize especially once you spend enough time doing something and like mm -hmm. practicing any given skill is that a lot of times the common knowledge is wrong. Like the, the knowledge that people take for granted about a subject is wrong. And then you push further into the field. You spend more time, you become more experienced, you become a bit more of an expert and you realize that the common knowledge was actually right all along. Uh -huh. Yeah. And then you get even more of an expert. You become a master in that field and you realize that, no, actually, it really was wrong. Or the first step was right and then it veered off in a completely wrong direction. Mm. Well, it's often like you get advice like show, don't tell. Which if you're beginning as a writer and you understand what conceptually show, don't tell means, mm -hmm. it is invaluable. It is incredibly important to know that you should show and not tell. Mm -hmm. it's important to know that it's very good knowledge to have it's a fundamental skill of writing it is also wrong yes it is not good advice but it is not wrong until you discover that there are times when you should tell and not show and then you realize that like wait a second mm -hmm. you actually should show and not tell yeah. and then you delve deeper into it and once you've reached like a level of I, I don't know if I should call myself an expert or not I've been writing for like seven eight years now you published several novels, I think. You're... I think I can get away with calling myself an expert at writing, I think. I think I'm at the point where I'm having a hard time getting better, which is annoying. Okay. That's a challenge when you hit that wall. But anyway. Silver rank. We talked about it. <laughs> exactly. Yes. But yeah, once you hit that level, 
you realize that like, oh yeah, okay. A lot of the advice that you give to beginners is valid, but there's a big but, there's an asterisk there. And because the advice is so condensed into like a single sentence, not even a long one, you can't transmit a wealth of information in a three word sentence. You know, show, don't tell is great. It's fantastic. It is correct. It is wrong. And it's just insufficient advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a lot of the best advice you receive is like that. So mm-hmm. keeping that in mind, the fact that no writing advice is tailored specifically for the person hearing it, I think if you keep that in mind, that there are some pieces of advice that I've found exceptionally helpful. Some of it I had to hear it multiple times before it finally clicked or I finally yeah. caught on to the fact that like, wait a second. Yes. Okay. That does make sense. One of them is write every day. Mm-hmm. Just write every day. Don't find excuses. Don't take days off. Just absolutely find a time to write every single day. Even if it's not a lot, just do it. You will find that your skills will deteriorate much faster than you expect them to. Unless, of course, you are forced to take a day off by your patrons. That was a mistake. <laughs> Actually, no, I can't say it was a mistake. I did need some time off for the sake of mental health. And there is such a thing as pushing yourself too far. Even if- For those who don't know it, Raven's Dagger has a patron uh, tier that uh, allows you to tell him to take a day off. It's limited <laughs> because, of, of course, it is. Yeah. Why wouldn't it be? <laughs> I, I originally wasn't going to put a limit on it. And then people instantly started like conspiring together oh no to figure out how to get me to have like 30 days off a month oh no and while i would have enjoyed the fact that i would be making a lot of money for not working <laughs> which is cool and i think a lot of people stream but it, it would completely destroy my career if i just stopped are you one of those people who get upset if you don't write yeah i get a little bit annoyed if i can't write i'm not sure if it's so much the fact that I'm not mechanically writing that bothers me. It's the lack of progress on oh, my projects okay. and stuff. Because a lot of things are like, I'm writing Fluff 3 right now. I'm 31 chapters in. I know it's going to be about 70 to 75 chapters long. So I know I'm about oh. almost at the 50% mark. And based on how many chapters I'm writing per week, I know it's going to take me three months to complete it. If three months from now it's not done, then I feel like I'm a little bit behind, maybe not that bad. But you know, if five months from now it's not done, then I know that it's somewhere I kind of goofed up. And what would you do if you found that out? I mean, obviously you probably have written enough books that it doesn't happen that often anymore, if at all. But what do you do if you? Well, I stress about it needlessly. Well, obviously that's the first thing to do in any situation is to stress about it needlessly. And oftentimes I realize that like I'm the one that's holding myself to that standard. There's mm. most of my readers don't particularly care that much. So it's, yeah, it's kind of shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah. Um, it's never quite as bad as you think it is. No, it's never quite as bad as you think it is. There is a need to be productive, but it's never quite as bad as you make it out to be in your head. That's true. Which is unfortunate. It's just kind of, people are dumb. Yeah, it's, we tend to be a bit stupid, to put it quite simply. Yeah, because you stress yourself out. You push yourself and you're like, I have to finish this by this time. And there's no real reason to. At the same time, if you don't get things done, 
you're not going to get anywhere. Uh, that's true. I love how that's, by the way, how that's, I don't mean you in particular, but it's a you problem because that means you can change it. Yes, you can definitely fix it. To some extent, I find like there are some people that push the narrative that like, yes, you should not stress yourself out or anything too far. I think there's like a middle ground between people that don't want you to push yourself too hard mm -hmm. and people that think you're not pushing yourself hard enough. Mm -hmm. And I think that taking too much time off, too many breaks, uh, spending too much time not actually focusing on your pr productivity is bad. I think yeah. focusing on your productivity to the detriment of all else is also bad. There has to be a middle ground. Yeah, yeah I agree with you. So a quick story. My job often requires me to actively do nothing which mm. sounds stupid, but it's friggin' hard to watch a team or a company or whatever run themselves into the ground until the pain is hard enough for them to ask for your help. Mm. So sometimes you sit around there stressing out, like, am I going to miss the point? Am I going to miss the point? While at the same time, you're not actually achieving anything quite far from it. You're actually l watching stuff get worse, and it's terrible. But on mm. the other hand, if I do have to actually work, I sometimes work like 60, 60, 70 hours a week, and that also burns me out. So burnout is a thing. Bore out is another, right? And they sometimes feel the same. Yeah, that's something I've noticed in my life. And I don't know if I can say I've noticed in other people's lives, but I've noticed the symptoms of it in other people, mm -hmm. is that when you are in a stressful situation and you have to push yourself really hard constantly, you do not have time for depression, yeah. which is weird and kind of counterintuitive. But the moments of like sadness and self-reflection and like, oh God, what am I doing? Don't usually happen when you're constantly going. It's cortisol, I think. I don't know what chemical it is, but I know it's not healthy in either case. So there's some middle ground there as well where... You're working to the point where you're not stressing yourself out constantly, mm -hmm. but you're also keeping yourself mentally, physically busy yeah. so that you're still doing stuff. Yeah. The cortisol is that chemical that produces stress. It's very useful and it has been useful evolutionary because you need that because it keeps you focused. It keeps you doing stuff. It keeps you going forward, mm -hmm. but it also suppresses your immune system, for example. Which is why if you have a stressful job, you, you, maybe you know one of those people where I say like, oh, I'm always so stressed. And then when they go on vacation, they immediately get sick. That's cortisol. You've been sick the entire time, but your immune system didn't even have time to fight back, which is what being sick is, right? So this feeling of sickness is your immune system fighting back. It's interesting shit. Don't take too many breaks because they will stunt your productivity. So I think there's a middle ground between taking breaks and getting work done getting that relationship with yourself where you're not pushing yourself too hard not too little exactly yes i think it's hard to get to that point but it's important to find that balance mm -hmm. it might take a while i mean i've been writing full time like i quit my job to write about three years ago now mm -hmm. so two two years three years anyway a while ago and it took a while to find that balance it wasn't instantaneous a was relatively difficult. 
yeah, I think it's important to, to find that. Other advice, and this is something I often tell people who come up to me and are like, hey, I want to write. I get a surprisingly large amount of people that like send me private messages about this. I don't know why me in particular, I guess they, they, I'm approachable. I don't mind answering people's questions. So I tend to try to talk to people if they ping me. If you listen to this and you haven't looked at, because the fictions tab, like also written by this author, is very hard to find on Railroad, I personally think. I would, I wish it was easier to find. Mm. Or, well, in my case, hopefully not, because the stuff I've also written is not good. But I, you got some really interesting stuff in there, like Noble Bright, for example. I'm going to read that. That sounds fun. Noble Bright. Oh, I want to talk about Noble Bright. Let's do it. Noble Bright is weird. <laughs> That's a good opening, right? Noble Bright is a weird one. I fell in love with the idea of writing a story that had card-based mechanics. And I thought, wow, that is really neat. I also really like 4X space stories that have oh, like yes. spaceships that like grow bigger and build more spaceships and bases on like planets. I don't play very many video games, but the one video game that I play a lot is Space Engineers. Ah, oh, okay. I have like 2000 some odd hours in that game. I just really like building spaceships and bases in space and like launch pads and stuff like that. I just really love that stuff. So I was like, I'm really fond of this. I have far too much knowledge about inertia and momentum in space and like space-based weaponry and stuff like for to be healthy. I have just too much of this information just stuck in my head. So I decided I'm going to write a quest. I'm not sure if you're familiar with the quests essentially an interactive story where people vote on what happens. So that's what Noble Bright is. People have control of a card game, basically. They have mm -hmm. cards that they gain different resources come and go. They can spend the resources to use cards and they gain resources that allow them to do stuff. That is a game that I'm playing with the readers of that story. And it's like a lit RPG, except the lit RPG part is un entirely unknown to the readers, to the characters. The readers are aware of it, the characters are not. So the, the readers control the mechanism. So uh -huh. they decide who gets some, who gets to use which card, which things are happening. And the characters just do stuff in accordance to the resources that they have on hand, like the, towards what the readership has voted for. So yeah, so that's what Noble Bright is. The basic premise is aliens invaded the solar system while humanity was starting to colonize Mars and Venus. Mm -hmm. So humanity had reached space. Space exploration of our solar system was like fully in a, a new renaissance of exploration in space and everything was going on. And then aliens appeared and killed all of humanity, basically. As they and do. As they do. And every three years or so, these aliens come back in smaller and smaller patrols and root out whatever remains of humanity there are. And after 20 odd years, there's no humans left. The last human has died a decade ago. And all that is left are these ships. And one of these ships happens to have like a very powerful AI thing, and it builds a second ship. And that second ship is the main character, uh, Daybreak. So that's your point of view character is it kind of slapped together warship with an AI controlling it. And the AI controlling the ship is the main character. Mm -hmm. And so they have to collect resources from the solar system, salvaging destroyed human and alien ships, figuring out 
which asteroids have resources worth mining, setting up mining outposts, at the same time trying to be as stealthy and quiet as possible because every three years mm. the aliens come back. And now when they do come back, they have to go quiet and oh. stop all production. And have like, you, have if you've you... ever read like Hunt for Red October, there's a lot of that. Uh, in that where it's it's like, so Sean Connery? Yes. <laughs> have, you, have you played AI Wars? AI Wars. That rings a bell. It's not the same premise, but it rings like that. And basically, it is... And that way, there's two. One is aliens are going to invade and you need to unite to Earth, even though we're all assholes. And the AI Wars 2 is you are humanity and you are lost, you've lost the war against the aliens, but you have a small colony of people remaining and you need to stay as quiet as possible until you can start mm. taking over the galaxy again. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of, it's got that mood. Cool. 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 Um, so that's the basic premise of the story is that mm-hmm. this, the main character is one of these ships and they're just trying to rebuild. They're not trying to rebuild humanity. Humanity is long dead, but they're trying to rebuild a new society on the grave of humanity. And Ooh. there's a lot of like oh. these characters, at least the main character is very introspective about it. So the uh, daybreak on series who was born on series birthed on series i guess and they're very introspective about like we have some of the uh, not emotions but some of the ideas of humanity carried over to us and should we continue with these ideas or should we not should we mm-hmm. discard them because they, they ended up not succeeding and they failed and there's a lot of that kind of introspection mm-hmm. going on and there's a lot of time in the story for introspection because a lot of what the story is going on is like going on a mission to salvage some ships or mine some resources or setting up research and figuring things out. So there's a lot of time for that kind of slow buildup and development. And then more ships are built, more characters are introduced, and they have different and diverging opinions on how things should be done. Also, because it's one of my stories, I had to make it kind of, you know, kind of cute. So you'd have a scene where the characters are on sitting on a virtual hilltop and they're having tea together and they're sharing biscuits and like mm-hmm. just eating cake or whatever. And in the same scene, the scene cuts to what's happening in space and they are bombarding alien colonies and blowing up alien civilian ships, you know, filled with living aliens mm-hmm. and civilians because they're like, well, should we be killing these aliens? They're asking themselves as they're sipping tea and having virtual cake. And they're like, well, I don't know about the morals of it, but we're going to launch this nuke anyway. And it's, it's like, I love the juxtaposition of this, where it's like really cutesy and like kind of fluffy on the one side. And on the other side, you realize that like they're doing stuff that's like morally questionable, but they're questioning themselves about it. And it's like, ah, okay. I, I like that. I like that just juxtaposition and like this kind of play of, you know, figuring it all out but that's the main thrust of noble bright and first volume is nearing its end should be only about 20 not 10 20 chapters left and then that'll be it for the first volume i'm not sure if there's going to be a second volume or not there hasn't been that much interest in it but it was a lot of fun as like a thing to try i mean these chapters look like they're like 1500 words yeah they're really short when i first launched it i was doing like two chapters a day so I, they were really short and also the fact that it's like a quest so i had to be like really quick with reader interaction but now i've slowed down significantly i don't have as much time to de- dedicate yeah. to that project 
So the shorter chapters might get a bit longer. All right. Speaking of, you know, we were shouting out stuff earlier. What's one book that you love and why? Oh, that's a difficult one. What is the standard for one book? <laughs> it can be a series. Okay, okay. Like, if we're talking about, like, books that are not, like, recent. I'm not talking about, like, web serials and stuff like that. Mm. But, like, actually traditionally published old school books. Mm-hmm. Old schools, maybe, it does not work. I think I would have to go for Neil Stevenson's Snow Crash. Snow Crash. As, like, mm-hmm. one of my all-time favorites. I have read this multiple times books. Why is it so good? The prose, especially, like, I don't know if you've ever read Snow Crash, mm-hmm. but the opening prose is just so evocative. It mm-hmm. is impossibly good. Like, it is disgustingly good. I think it's like a page and a half long description of the main character's car. And it's just like the sexiest description of this car ever. And it's just incredible. It goes on about like the contact points on its tires. And it like the analogies it uses like constantly and it feels like the it feels like somebody is sitting across from you and describing this thing to you, but it is the most charismatic person you have ever met. Oh nice. Describing this thing that they absolutely adore. And it, it's just dripping with character. And like mm-hmm. it's the story that came up with like so many tropes that we don't realize. Like I it's it's the origin for the term Matrix. The story was credited as the inspiration for the game Quake. What the fudge? Well, 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 it's a new ad. If you are interested in having your story shouted out on this podcast, please reach out to me under critrpg.podcast at gmail.com. For now, I just finished the first book in my own series, Torchbearer. If you like a slow burn story about weak to OP main characters, mixing magic and technology and numbers going up, you might also enjoy this one. You can find the link to my link tree down below. And that's all for now. Thank you very much for listening and or watching. And let's get on with the show. Which is like, that's a pretty big deal, <laughs> you know? It, and it came up with the idea of like online cyberspace and the term avatar comes from there too as a character's avatar. Yeah, there was a book where cyberspace went beyond three-dimensional objects, right? Yeah, yeah. It was like, there's a cyberspace world and people are selling things. There's a metaverse. Not a Facebook metaverse, but like a proper metaverse. <laughs> Excuse me. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, this, it's a fantastic series. It's got some stuff that hasn't aged well, obviously. Yeah. Because... It was written before I was born. So, like, a lot of okay, the tech so you're and not things... not as old as I am. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, I'm born in 92. So I think the book might have come out in the same year, actually. So a lot of the tech and stuff obviously hasn't aged that well. Like, a book came out before, like, Windows standardized operating systems. So, like, obviously... Actually, no, when the Windows would have come out... It's Windows 59, holy shit! Yeah, so wait, let me see. 1992. 95, sorry. Yeah, so Windows 95 was like the one that everybody used. So Windows 3.1 came out in 92, right? Uh, You make me sound so, you make me feel so old. (laughs) But yeah, so like the book that came out that same time period where like, obviously a lot of the tech and stuff in the book hasn't aged, Mm. uh, aged well. But otherwise, like the pure 
elat, the pure style of the book is just so strong that it just carries everything, even the nonsensical parts. And then a lot of the ideas that are presented in it are really like far thinking and futuristic and like bleak, but not bleak. A lot of Stray Cat Strut is based on that, the style of that. Okay, I, I got to say like, so the main character is called Japanese hero protagonist. Yeah, his name is Hero Protagonist. He fights against Katana. <laughs> yeah, no, this shit is like balls to the walls, crazy, like yeah. tropey as hell. And but- the, I, I clicked on the name in Google, and the first result was like Goodreads Hero Protagonist. Really? Exclamation question mark exclamation mark. <laughs> yeah, no, he's a pizza delivery boy who delivers pizza with a katana because he works for <laughs> the mafia because. <laughs> Because in this world, the mafia controls pizza delivery. Obviously. And if your pizza is delivered late, you have to answer to the Don of the family. <laughs> so obviously, he can't deliver any pizzas late because he might die. So <laughs> it's incredible. <laughs> so the card is described at the beginning is the Deliverator, which oh. is just like this insane, like armored coated, bulletproof glass, <laughs> like Batmobile of a car because you do not fuck with pizza delivery. You know, and it's just, it's so cyberpunk. And it's He's, funny as fuck. Yeah, it I mean. is hilarious when you read it. And it's like, it takes itself seriously. But it just delivers this. All. Anyway, it is a fantastic read. I strongly advise anybody that's like, hmm. that wants to read something like traditionally published. It's well done. I don't think it'll ever be a movie or anything like that because it's just a little bit too weird. And a lot of the themes and ideas it touches on just don't fit the cinema well. But yeah, it's just really good. It's just mm. really cool. Yeah, you you I mean, read that and you're like, damn, I should buy a leather jacket and smoke something illegal at night. And get a katana. Yeah, I should get a katana and walk around the bad parts of a city. I have a story um, about that. I need to tell you after the show. <laughs> all right, all right. All right. Actually, shout outs. Let's do it. Two hours, shout 30 minutes. All right, all right, all right, all right. I'm going to avoid shouting out my friends like Gioa and, and Void Herald and like Selkie and stuff like that because they're all full-time authors. They don't need the money. And the intention about this, about the shouting out people who people haven't heard of yet before. Yeah, so like maybe people have heard of my friend Saris. They wrote the story called A Ghost in the City. Ooh, and it's yeah. doing really well on Royal Road right now. Mm-hmm. It's one of the top three popular ongoing. Yes, and it, it definitely deserves to be there. It is one of the few stories that I've actually kept up with, and it is just a fantastic read. It's incredibly creative. It's just a cool story. It just kind of oozes this like like sense of like I don't actually know how to describe it, but it's just a fun, cool story, and I thoroughly enjoy like keeping up with it, reading every chapter, and I wish more people read it. It's mm-hmm. not. It doesn't have quite as many followers as I think it deserves. But it's really quite good. Another story that I've been reading lately that I've been I'm having a lot of fun with is a Valkyrie Shadow. Oh, it's a story that's been on Royal Road since forever. And I've been ignoring it since forever. But recently, a friend of mine got into it and they told me, hey, you have to read this. It's got like 3,000 followers or something like that. And I regret not getting into it earlier, but I'm happy I got into it now because it's got so much content. It's like two plus million words at least. So it's I'm not quite done with it yet. I'm afraid of finishing it because once I caught up, you know, I'm gonna be caught up. 
I don't know uh, how often it updates, but like, yeah, it's that melancholic feeling when you're done with the binge and like, oh, I have to wait now. <laughs> but yeah, fantastic story. Surprisingly deep at places. Bit of a rough start, which is, I think, fairly common in our niche with some of the older stories where the beginnings are... It should be an adage. You know, any Royal Road book you recommend, always, everyone says, you have to get through the first book. Yeah, you have to get through the first, like, I don't know, 100, 200 pages before it starts mm -hmm. to get good. Right. And it, they're, actually, they're not that bad here. Some stories that I've read have been significantly worse. <laughs> but they're a little bit rough. I've told this story a few times. Rhaegar knows about it. But the, the reason I started writing on Royal Road is because I read Azarin Thieler. Yeah. And I read the first like 100 pages of it. And I was like, yeah. wow, this is the worst writing I have ever seen. <laughs> oh, How God. is this person making so much money writing something so poorly? And <laughs> I was so insulted that like this was doing well that I was like, okay, fine. I'll write my own thing. That's when I wrote Cinnamon Bun. Um, There's two authors, two kinds of authors on World Road. People who are doing it for the joy and people who are doing it out of spite. <laughs> yes. Yeah, very much so. I, I went on to read all of Azner Thieler. Like once it got past the initial hump of like, this is not great. Mm. And it got decent. And then it just got really good. And like, you can see the improvement of the author as like chapter yeah. by chapter, he gets better and better. You got to shout out this. Like he went on to a portal and with the explicit intent of like, I want to get the best not progression editor, but developmental editor, I can get. So I can get better at this. Mm -hmm. And I mean, some people say like, oh, this is so badly written. But it's like, it's not like these people don't know. And it's not like they don't care. Right? So mm -hmm. I will never, ever in my life insult anyone and saying like, oh, your story is so bad. Like, everyone knows and everyone wants to get better and they're writing as well as they can. And if you're enjoying your story as it is right now, amazing. So, sorry. Going back to Rhaegar... Yeah, um, no, we're now very good friends. So yeah, he's a great dude, yeah, and he's just so chill too. I he did this push of like looking at your stuff and going like, this isn't as good as I thought it was, and I'm going to try and make it even better. That is amazing. That mm -hmm. is super humble and. He, I don't know if you've read his new story. He started to write it and then he put it on hiatus because he was editing. He learned I was soaking up a lot of time. I think. I think. Oh, oh I yeah. Know. Sorry. But, last thing. Uh, Sorry. Before I forget, the books on Amazon are much different than the Royal oh, yeah. version. I highly recommend going on Amazon, buying those books. Yeah, they're pretty good. He started to write this new story a while ago, and I read it, and I bugged him for a while. I think he gave me the beta version like because I bullied him into it. Anyway, I do that to all my author friends. If I'm keeping up on their story, I just bully them until they give me the, <laughs> like, the G-Docs to their stuff. It's the one big advantage of being like, a moderately well-connected author in our niche is that you can mm -hmm. bully pretty much like any author and be like, hey, I'll give you like a shout out. Like, give me your stuff. <laughs> Y'all got any more of those? Little PG? Got any more of them chapters? They got a little bit more of that because I just caught up now and I kind of need more, you know? Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> but yeah, he wrote this story called, Rhaegar I'm talking about, wrote this story called Infrasound Berserker. And it feels like Azrin Thieler. Like, it's got that feel, but yeah. it's so much better like it is unbelievable how it feels like the same story but the writing is just like like leagues better 
Yeah. The storytelling, the pacing, the emotional beats, the character writing, these, the world building, mm-hmm. the delivery of all that is just so much better. And it's like, oh, it is night and day seeing him go from like this one series that several million words long. I think it's like two million words, right? Mm-hmm. And by the end of it, like he's a competent writer. And now he starts this new series with all the skills that he earned in the first one. And mm-hmm. it still feels like something he wrote. And it still has the same identity and that same feel, but the talent and like the talent has turned into like skill, and now the skills on full display. And it's like, oh, this is really good. But he's going to run into a problem, and this is something we don't talk about too often, I think, and it's especially painful in our niche. Oh no, I think I know what it is. Oh, maybe it's that. It is very difficult to go from a one-story author to being a multi-story author. It is exceptionally difficult to convince people that read one of your books to read one of your other books. Like most of the followers that I have that read one story won't read the others. That being said, I Whitehall talked to me about the same thing. He has the same issue. It, yeah, I think. He wouldn't have held both spots on Rising Stars, one and two, for three weeks. If it wasn't him. If it wasn't him. Yeah. So there is a clout thing. There... Maybe the readers won't like enjoy and stay with your story because they are in love with, I don't know, Ryan Romano or, in your case, Cat, right? But they are at least going to give you a chance and they're going to want to support you because they like you. And you seem like a kind of person who delivers on your promises. And that's something that's so important, deliver on your promises. I think so. Mm. I it's It might be getting better. Or maybe at some point after enough books, you gain the kind of reader that doesn't mind following through. Which I think that's the case, actually. Mm. As I'm uh-huh. saying, as I'm talking, if you've listened to... Ravens Dagger talk about everything ever, then please click like, click like, subscribe, follow whatever button there is on the website that you're listening, uh, listening to this. And do give my other podcasts also a good listen. I'm also on Patreon where I post bonus material of all the shows that I host. So if this is shorter than two hours and 37 minutes, then chances are the rest of it is on Patreon. And I to... said stuff that'll get me canceled. You should definitely listen to it. Yes, absolutely. So Ravenslager talks about a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. Hitler came up. Hitler came up, yeah. He talked about the <laughs> US presidential election. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. That genocide. Oh, that the word was used. Mm. He dissed Rhaegar, said his a book was bit. bad, or his writing style was atrocious. So if you want to listen to all of that stuff, you should go on Patreon. Joke aside, if you're not listening to this on Patreon, it wasn't that bad. But please <laughs> do go to the Patreon. <laughs> I, I'm not going to throw anyone under the bus here. I'm Switzerland. <laughs> no, it's all good. It's all good. All right. So again, why Patreon? Because this stuff is really expensive. Publishing one episode approximately costs me about 15 to $65 with editing and every, all, this, all that kind of stuff. And... Yeah, I'm trying to work less because my work is stressing me out a lot. So you can help me. You can help my mental sanity by subscribing to Patreon. 
Ravens Dagger. Thank you so Thank much you for being much. here. That was a lot. It was a lot of fun. It was a blast. Yeah. My voice is giving out. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. And now we're going to talk for another two hours. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> yeah. Thank you again. And I'll see you next week. I hope you can appreciate I chose the most annoying jingle I could, but do you like numbers going up? Well, so do I. Which is why I would like you to like, subscribe, and maybe even check out my Patreon. Recording, editing, and hosting these podcasts takes a lot of money. So yeah, I need funds, you need more content, it's a deal made in heaven. Did I mention the episodes on Patreon are ad-free?